Yeah, you are a different person now. <laughs> you, you are. Well, I still got the same name. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I <laughs> I got married last week. Yay! Yay! Wait, wait, wait. Where's my over cup? Zoom? Uh, yeah. That is significantly more people than there were at the ceremony. Oh, no. Plotting in that uh, sound effect. Not, oh, no, that's like the reality of this year, right? Um, Yeah, we applied online for our marriage license, uh, had a phone interview to make a Zoom appointment, and then we had our Zoom appointment, um, which included signing the papers and also a ceremony, which we were allowed to invite 15 guests to, 15 guest devices to the Zoom ceremony. Um, Ooh, that's really narrowing down the list. Yes, super duper small. Um, we freed up a couple spots by physically doing the ceremony in my parents' backyard. So my parents were there, my brother and his girlfriend, and uh, one friend our friend Steven, who represented both uh, our best man and maid of honor, uh, he caught the bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it it was definitely, there were like, not problems, like there is maybe, we've, you know, we've talked a lot about how we hate Zoom. Uh, we certainly didn't get to interact with our Zoom guests very much. Um, but in the end, it actually ended up having a lot of, uh, aspects that I would have preferred anyway, and that probably wouldn't have gotten to happen if it wasn't over Zoom, uh, such as having it in my parents' backyard with their dogs there, their three rambunctious dogs. Um, and like, I just wore a dress that I thrifted and Converse and a, a vintage hat that I was given as a gift a couple years ago. We basically didn't spend any money uh, just on some flowers in my bouquet. Um, Wait, so you guys didn't dress up your parents' backyard with any like extra, like that's uh, what it so, looks like? Because it looks very regal. <laughs> uh, they do have a really beautiful garden in the backyard, and they sort of had this arch already created out of plants and we basically just moved some of the plants that they had in pots so we hung a few more geraniums and brought over uh, their beautiful bloodleaf bush and then uh, my dad just cut off some sticks of bougainvillea from his giant bougainvillea bush and just hung them from the arch and that was basically it so it just and we you know we planned all of it in basically like five days. <laughs> um, so, I, in many ways, it was perfect, and I I really loved it. Awesome. Um, yeah. Although it turns out, if you don't plan a wedding, you do still have to do some of the planning stuff after. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, you know, letting people know that you got married and coming up with a registry, and we're still trying to find a place to live to buy a house um and that is all a lot of work but yeah it was really nice but hey one big uh 
it's it's a huge undertaking that I you know you guys managed to get through during this weird time. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And it was a perfect little day. I got to eat my meal. I got to eat my cake. We did a little dance. Mm. Although, what kind of cake did you have? Uh, my friend Haley made us this gorgeous two-tiered. It's my first time with more than one tier, y'all. Uh, lemon elderberry cake that had sugar-coated rose petals on it. It was delicious. I've uh, we've already eaten all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Only took us a week. Two tiers. <laughs> yeah, I mean the second tier was V small, but it was mm. super cute. So how do they hold up the second tier? Since it was so small, there were no supports whatsoever, uh, which actually made the cake cutting a little. Oh, it funny. just sits on there. Yeah, uh, but we didn't know that, so. You know, it's traditional for the bride and groom to both hold the knife and cut the first piece of cake. And we're like, are there going to be dowels in here? Is there going to be a layer of cardboard? We didn't know. (laughs) So we were a little awkward cutting it. But yeah, you just sit it on top. Hmm. Well, uh, all this talk of cake is making me want to go to the cafe. Mm. The EdTech Cafe. And you know what? Why don't maybe this is a good time. <laughs> maybe this is a good time to just quickly mention the fact that uh, William's fiance, or maybe I, I don't know why am I why am I bringing this up? William, you were there when uh, Shauna was making this and all that. Like, what do we? What's this new thing we got in terms of our music? So this is. Um... A new piece that Shauna made uh, as an intro for EdTech Cafe. It's sort of like a warbly, loungy, coffee, and relaxation world from South America, circa 1960. (laughs) And... We've been listening to um, a, a lot of Bossa Nova lately, the master Antonio Carlos Jobim. And, um, I, you know, I was just I was thinking about this and, uh, you know, what what do we want to do for a theme for a tech cafe? And it just hit me like, man, this mu- this is this is cafe music in in its purest form. Like, yeah, it's chill. It's. It's background, but it can also be foreground. It's like, it's a flow state music. And it's, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's something I dig a lot. And we've been needing a new theme song for a while. And since we're only on our first season and we're trying all kinds of new things out, screw it. Why don't we just switch up the theme song midway through the season? Here it is. Oh my gosh. I love it. Record player is a little sweaty. (laughs) 
<laughs> it reminds me, it makes me think of like a beach, a beachside cafe in the 60s. I'm imagining early style bikinis and surfboards. Yeah. I love it. Welcome to another episode of EdTech Cafe. This is a podcast series produced by the Educational Technology Team at Stanford Medicine. Our team sits at the intersection of art, science, and education, and in this space, we'll sit down with other media and production-savvy professionals to discuss how they use their talents to support science and improve educational outcomes across the globe. I'm Jessica Whittemore, and I am joined by my scintillating co-hosts, William Bettini and Andrew Beck. Welcome back to the cafe, y'all. Scintillating. I like being scintillating. I know. It's a great adjective. <laughs> <laughs> That's what came to the top of my mind just now. Mm, sparkling <laughs> or shining brightly. That's right. Sorry, y'all. Shut up. <laughs> On today's episode, we're joined by our colleague, Kat Sal who is one of our um, illustrators. Uh, can anyone tell me what do we have to look forward to in our interview with Kat? She, uh, being the newest member of our team, it was just great to hear, like, it was just great to hear her journey, just making it all the way to ad tech, because um, like we've been basically saying with all the other guests, everyone takes different paths and stuff like that. And um, naturally, being like a very pure artist, Kat, uh, I mean, our discussion just revolved a lot around just art and the intersection between art and business in a way, or maybe art and research, I guess is a better way of saying and education. it. education. And education, yeah. Yeah. She has a super fresh take on the current state of art school in America. Um, I'm already feeling a little hungry for a treat. Uh, I'm drinking some rose tea, and I think it needs a treat to go with it. A treat of the day? Yeah, like a treat of the day, maybe? Treat of the day? Treat of the day. Treat of the day. Treat. Treat Treat of of the day. day. Ow. Mm, I have Frank Sinatra on my mind. Are you still stuck in the 60s? (laughs) Treat of the day is where we introduce a topic that can be any sort of flavor and any sort of nutritional value. What are we today, William? We salty? We sweet? Mm, Today's flavor is sweet, but sweet in a nostalgic way. And for all of you etymology heads out there, nostalgia comes from Greek root words for the pain of yearning for home. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't it go it back, back to, to like Odyssey. Homer? So speaking of Odysseys, uh, I watched Bill and Ted face the music and Bill and Ted's <laughs> bogus journey this weekend. <laughs> Have you all seen these movies? I've only seen Excellent Adventure. Same. Oh, really? You haven't seen the se- sequels? No. <laughs> well, the, the face the music is the um, Bill and Ted movie that came out this year on demand and in theaters and bill and ted's bogus journey was the second movie which came out in like 1992 or something um and i have like a little journey to go on with with these uh movies which goes somewhere strange uh please take us on it (laughs) by the way we're just really quickly 
just a disclaimer, we're not sponsored by Bill and Ted. So <laughs> this is like a genuine recommendation from our from our hearts, or at least from William's hearts. Yeah. But we I have do love Keanu Reeves. And, <laughs> and uh, okay, so first of all, I highly recommend Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. It's better than the first movie, and it is also better than the third movie. Since you, both of you haven't seen it, and I'm assuming some of the audience hasn't, seeing as it's 30 years old now, um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a quick story of what the plot is, because it's insane. <laughs> so Bill and Ted are these kind of dopey, kind, chill-out Southern California dudes who are fated to save the future with the power of rock and roll, a song that they write will unite the world in world peace. Wow. And they're told this by a visitor from the future, played by George Carlin. In this What's his movie, name, Rufus? Rufus, that's right. And he looks so cool. And as unlikely as it would seem... The future civilization of the planet Earth takes Bill and Ted as their Christ-like origin heroes and their mannerisms, including their catchphrases, party on dudes, and be excellent to one another. (laughs) Those are the founding documents of the future society. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds great. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this movie is fantastic and it is pure joy and pure love. However, evil robot doppelgangers of themselves are sent from the future back to present day to stop Bill and Ted's excellent future from happening. What? No. <laughs> yes, these. unfortunately these evil robot doppelgangers and they're totally evil (laughs) kill bill (laughs) they kill bill and ted and send them to hell bill and in in hell bill and ted meet the grim reaper who is sort of a squidward type miserable guy uh they also meet the devil they're confronted with their worst nightmares they go to heaven where they meet some freaky alien guys. <laughs> Actually, their gender is not specified. Um, who are the smartest beings in the universe. And God himself recommends that these aliens go with Bill and Ted to help save Earth. <laughs> when, they re- when they return to Earth, the aliens create a good robot. They create good robot doppelgangers of Bill and Ted using all sorts of stuff from the local hardware store. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and they all drive together in Bill and Ted's uh, tour van to the Battle of the Bands concert, which is happening right then. Of and course it is. The good, <laughs> the good robots defeat the evil robots, and the rest is history. <sighs> It's an insane movie, and I, <laughs> I, I truly love this movie. It's so surprising. It was made with such love and thought and care. And um, the camera moves, the set design, all of this stuff is just magic, not to mention Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, who are perfect. Um, 
So I watched the new movie this weekend, Face the Music. And while I did like the movie, I felt a bit sad to see that most of the movie takes place on CGI sets or in like generic suburbs. Hmm. Um, unlike Bogus Journey, I felt like there was like a, a lack of specificity and character in the sets. Hmm. So I, I became really interested this week in thinking about set design and scenic design. Scenic design in theater is also called production design in filmmaking. There, that's where that, um, that role fits in. Right. So I did some research and I found out who the production designer of this, of Bogus Journey was because I loved it. And um, I don't know if you guys are interested in screen sharing. I can just show you some pictures of it. Um, yeah. Just to get your reactions. Yeah. The best thing to do in a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. It's all yours. Well, we can describe with our words. We can, we can, we can try and make it work, I think. Okay. So I found out, well, let me just show you some of these sets. Can you see my screen? Mm -hmm. Yes. Look at these. I love it. Pink hell. This is, yeah. (laughs) These are, um. Wait, sorry. This is from Bogus Journey, not Face the Music? This is from Bogus Journey, where Bill and Ted go to hell, where they experience their worst hellish eternities, <laughs> um, which are these distorted, almost almost like Tim Burton-esque nightmare worlds. Yeah, it's very Beetlejuice. Or it looks also German expressionist, too. Yeah. Well, and um, this movie is partially a spoof on um, The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman. So I don't know. From these pictures, you can hopefully see. I I, I don't know. Maybe one of you wants to de- try to describe what what these look like. It kind of. It really does kind of look like uh, an eighties, ninety ver nineties version of maybe. I, I mean, it's hard to tell where. Ex- is this all hell right now? Like everything. Yeah, most sh- of this is in hell. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, but it does. It has this like '80s, '90s, slightly retro feel of a vision of what the future could be. But it is all in hell right now, so I'm not. It, there. And then there this are is the future. Basically, here. there are basically zero 90 degree angles. Everything is slanted, um, and the scale mm-hmm. is being played with. They're cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I hope. From seeing those those pictures or hearing the descriptions of them, you can understand how much I, how how these sets are so incredibly made, and I uh, these pictures that I found they're on the website of the production designer for the movie, whose name is David Snyder, and so I looked him up. I was like, what has this guy made? And it turns out he was the art director on Blade Runner, which is my oh. favorite movie mm. of all time. He was also on Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the Pee-wee Herman movie, and the Super Mario movie, which was a bad movie, but the sets were incredible. (laughs) (laughs) And all of this just got me thinking about, like, the importance of uh, the way a place feels. Like, with with the sets that were made for this movie, they they just feel alive. They feel like, like part of the film if you know what I mean, they feel like part of the film's DNA and you can just kind of see all of the decision-making and choices and these layers of ideas and materials and constraints all imprinted on the scene. Um, 
And it just got me thinking about scenes and scenes of, um, of, of education, of classrooms, because right now we'll, we are in a new scene uh, of remote learning and remote working. And I wanted to ask you both um, if you have any like classroom scenes or sets that you remember fondly. Huh. Oh, like Matilda? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, tell, tell us about that. Ooh, let's see if I can remember. That was just the first thing that came to Matilda. mind. Um, but it's also very 90s, and I feel they played a lot with perspective in that movie as well because it's from the point of the kids, so, like, the adults and the tall things look unfathomably tall. yeah. I don't now I'm just imagining that kid eating the cake. <laughs> well there's the giant globe too and like all of the cl- the just like the classroom desks. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. I I'm, just feel like the, I'm thinking of ahead, Ferris Andrew. Bueller's. Yeah. Um Bueller Bueller. Although I got to admit I I can't I can't like really picture the classroom itself. I just remember Ben, ben Stein's face. Right. Um, and I just remember it as a pretty generic classroom. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think like uh, you use the word generic classroom. And I think I think just what I've been thinking about lately is just like, well, the generic classroom is is like no longer the generic classroom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like the just the world we live in has changed so dramatically in um several months that um that that world almost feels like an just like an image now and i don't know i i just feel i i've been thinking just about um about the sets and the sets of uh coronavirus and like i watch the news and a new character of a, a new aspect of news shows are the rooms in the homes of all of the reporters that call mm-hmm. in. Right. And like true for us too at work and, and true for kids at uh, classrooms or teachers who are teaching is that you're getting this like, either you're getting the virtual Zoom background or you're getting a snapshot into all of the trinkets and books and wall colors and lighting environments that all of these people live in something that you like seldom see it feels so personal it feels like it can it i feel like it can feel like a set uh you know like in bogus journey but it i'm wondering like you know what's the what are the next sets of education going to be because we have all of these iconic scenes like the socratic seminar the lecture hall, schoolhouse, uh, even like like uh, icons like the red apple of of uh, th- that you give to a teacher, or the big world map that that you pull down from that rolling thing, <laughs> um, and like playgrounds. I don't know. And and now all of that has been replaced with virtual backgrounds and like panes of disinfected plastic and socially distanced chairs. I sort of feel like, you know, looking back, we had the like inspiring rich sets of like the bogus journey Bill and Ted world. 
and now we have the kind of generic face the music world of like virtual backgrounds and just like people's homes so I don't know I'm just thinking about what's next you know yeah I I mean my first thought is that I hope that we'll be back in the physical classroom soon because that is a social service that is so utterly necessary and my my heart breaks for the kids that um that are learning now from homes where they can't get Mm -hmm. a quiet space or reliable internet um thinking about kids doing a zoom class from the bathtub or from the parking lot outside of a taco bell right like these are things that are happening in the bay area and in new york city and my heart breaks for those kids um, and it's a social service that is, you know, it's just so important. Yeah. And for what I, what I kept thinking of was, um, just to take a step away from the classroom for a second, just how obviously how much of movies these days rely on those green screens and blue screens. Um, I'm thinking of <clears throat> Marvel, <clears throat> Uh, where basically everyone is just in front of a green screen. There are no physical sets anymore aside from um, the green screen and blue screen. And in the past decade since uh, Marvel's been churning out these things like a factory, there have been criticisms in the past of, and I can't remember which ones, maybe it was one of the Spider-Mans or something, where the the sets just did not look real, and it just obviously looked pasted right. on, um, and and done retroactively, and it kind of reminds me of just the uncanny valley. Normally, we apply that to robotics and AI, and specifically when we're talking about human faces, but. I mean, I think the same thing can apply to sets and and um, the physical world, where when things feel more tangible and real, it you know like you just can't replace that, and it kind of feels a similar thing in classroom experiences these days, where we're trying so desperately to um, keep those same those same little details of that classroom experience, in-person classroom experience online. But whether it's because like we're limited to the technology that we have, um, what, you know, like Zoom uh, is for all the reasons we've gone over in previous episodes, like it's, it's still very limited as a video conferencing tool, whether it's like how much of each person we can see and, you know, the, the sets that we create behind us right. um, rather than just, you know, showing our bathtub or, you know, just our closet bathtub. behind us. Or <laughs> whatever, wherever you might be <laughs> zooming in from. Uh, it, it still is missing something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I uh, read an article recently that was talking about um, this topic, uh, you know, the next kind of hurdle to the next kind of hurdle to jump over is recreating that water cooler feeling. At least that's what the article was saying, mm-hmm. which, you know, I agree is an important thing, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking that like 
I miss the physical world. <laughs> like I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I miss, um, I miss sets in films and I miss, um, an office. As you know, I've worked from home for over two years now. I miss campuses, um, now that I'm not in school anymore. <laughs> and, um, I miss classrooms. And I, th I think that, um, like one kind of major shift in the last like 20 years, or at least maybe since I was born has been this movement away from physical into virtual, you know, the birth of the internet and all of this. And I don't know, you know, like watching, <laughs> watching these Bill and Ted movies for me, they, they take place 30 years apart, which is about how old I am. And it made me just think about like that, like the difference in physical space is one of those major differences that has crept up on people until suddenly we're, we're, uh, you know, we're completely virtual now. Um, so I don't know. I'm just thinking like, I, I have a renewed appreciation for the importance of physical space, not just, uh, in my own life, but in in film and in art, I think there's so much more of an opportunity for people to put their mark to make things rich and, and thick. And, you know, the sort of worlds that you fall in love with aren't the worlds of like Marvel movies or of like green screen backgrounds. It's the worlds of Blade Runner, you know, where everything yeah. is handmade and, and it's the, those, classrooms that you grew up in you know not a zoom classroom yeah worlds with specificity that are rooted in the local yeah that's what we want i've been uh me and muhammad and i have been house shopping uh in the bay area which is a nightmare but there there's this rash of um homes that are being flipped Basically, someone buys a home just to update certain parts of it and then tries to sell it to make money. And they never, um, the updates aren't made with like living in mind. They aren't made out of love or specificity. They just do like a, this like checkbox basically. Right. And then they never live in it, um, which means nothing has settled. There's no like story or character in them. And I'm finding them anathema. There are so many of them. Right. Um, and finding these little gem houses that are 80 years old or 100 or 150 years old, um, that the people who lived in them really cared for them. And maybe they did updates, but like within the spirit of the home and that they intended to stay there. Finding those places... Um, I don't know where this thought is going, but I love those homes and I just can't stand the other houses. Like they're not even homes. Yeah. Um, and it's that, that mm. specificity and that love. It's a, that's a beautiful observation. Yeah. I, I, you know, I do want to, uh, just kind of caution us from sounding too much like old farts, like railing against <laughs> digital technology and, 
feeling like <laughs> these green screen worlds aren't lived in because I mean, you know, we should give credit to all the visual artists and, you know, motion artists, all of those people who do spend hours and hours. I mean, in Marvel, like it sounds like they're almost like a like like run like slaves over there. Um uh, and and a lot of thought, energy and care does go into these places, but I mean, I I think I think there is l- actual science to support how much better we communicate, we experience and interact with physical things, like tangible things, um, where our literally our brain chemistry is firing differently, and we respond perhaps more empathetically, more emotionally to physical sets to physical classrooms um just the experience of um not just hearing like a lecturer um through zoom which i mean let's be real like a lot of people on zoom aren't really looking just at the video or just at screen sharing a lot of times you could be browsing on the internet or doing other things on your computer um there's something to be said about you know actually seeing the lecturer in person um and like not just hearing their words but seeing them say those words too i mean there's a lot of those kinds of experience that i just don't think you can replicate until we get into this like crazy year 3000 kind of technology uh where virtual reality will just be off the charts like until we get to that point i mean i don't think we can ever Hmm. um remove that experience Movie theaters, you know, like all people are always talking about the death of movie theaters. And I just don't think I I think that's all like overhyped in the sense that I will always and I'm sure I'm not the only one. I will always cherish the physical space way more than um, watching something on Netflix in my living room, not just because of the technical aspects of the sound system or the screen size, but the actual communal aspect of watching it with an audience, um, hearing their laughters, hearing, you know, I mean, there are drawbacks to all of this, right? Like sometimes people um, will be talking too much in a movie theater or people will zone out. The sound is too loud. Yeah, exactly. Or people will zone out or doze off in a classroom um obviously there are drawbacks to the to physical things or like for physical sets when we go when we're um bringing that back to film i i feel like a lot of uh the younger generation kids who have been growing up with marvel and cgi and green screen they will maybe look to physical sets of the past as having a certain charm but in terms of preferences they wouldn't uh prefer it but i think of like uh like uh wes anderson's movies you know i mean most of for me most of the charm of the movie is the production design like right those worlds are are a character perhaps the main character um for some parts of his movies and i i i think you know i'm just hoping that as we come out of the pandemic times that we have a new love and appreciation for for lived in places and 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 all of those things we were mentioning before you know specificity locality um 
love. And um, I hope that we can integrate that um, appreciation for these things into whatever comes next. Yeah. Or even when we go back to the classrooms, another another thing um, that your treat made me think of, William, is the classrooms that are currently empty or near empty. Um, my friend, who's a uh, fourth grade teacher, has been teaching remotely, but she physically is standing in her classroom. Um, oh, wow. And And she said that without the kids there, for the first time in the like more than five years that she's worked there, the air conditioning makes the room cold enough <laughs> because it's an it's an inefficient system. So when all the kids are there, it's just like strictly too hot. That is amazing. Uh, she's had to bring a cardigan for the first time in her professional career, <laughs> um, and that just struck me somehow um, that maybe like also updating the classrooms as we go back into them, finally taking the time to fix things that were wrong, that were impeding learning. I'm sure we're not going to because we certainly didn't prepare for digital learning early. Right. Uh, right. It's just been a bum rush. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever get to like, or I shouldn't say ever, but I don't, see us getting to like uh kind of like in wally where everyone is on their uh floating chairs with like a screen in front of their faces um like i don't think we'll ever get to that or sorry i keep saying ever but i don't think we'll get to that point anytime soon like i just don't think physical sets physical experiences non-virtual experiences will go away but it does seem like the appreciation for it maybe is waning a little bit um, and you know, we just got to keep spreading the love. Yeah. Yeah. And be excellent one to one another. silver lining. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, William, that was a delightful treat. I mean, it did make me feel a little sad. Um, yeah. Sweet was well, wrong. Here, I think it was bittersweet maybe. Well, okay. Here's the sweetness. Watch. Go and watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey or any other movie from the past that has won like the Oscar for production design mm. and just marvel in the in the care and thought that goes into the spaces. I feel like that's something that that I feel really excited to go and do um, until I forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> So for yeah, all the digitizing that that face the music did, was it still worth watching? You know, um, I I'll I'll put it this way: I don't want to disparage the movie. I do I do think it was worse than uh, Bogus Journey, but I appreciated I appreciated its values and the the love message that it was sending. I feel like it's a great movie to watch now, but I don't think it's a great movie. Um, to stand the test of time, if you understand what I'm saying. I totally understand. Basically, watch it for all the reasons we love Keanu, because I think that's like his, like his one underwriting, uh, like overriding message for all of his like career, is just be nice to one another, love each other, <laughs> you know, be groovy, yeah. man, or be excellent. <laughs> yeah. 
I almost want to do a Keanu segment, just like we did a Jeff Goldblum. I know. He's just so cool. We we could do that. You want to introduce a new segment? Yeah. What if we did Keanu in time, and we just like we we picked a year and we researched like what where was Keanu Reeves on um, September eighth, year two thousand. <laughs> Oh, how about how about this? We call it Y two Keanu. <laughs> Maybe we could start with nineteen ninety-nine. I'll work <laughs> I'll work it in the show notes somehow. <laughs> uh I'm ready to talk to Kat. Do you think she's almost here? She is walking through the door, I think. We're over here. There's an empty <gasps> seat. We're for over you. here. Cat, Come sit down next to the record player. What's that? <laughs> it's like an MP3 player, but big. With with scratches. <laughs> Our guest today is Cat Sal. Kat is our newest addition to the Stanford EdTech team, joining a little over a year ago. She recently graduated from Carnegie Mellon University, majoring in animation and drawing, and has gained experience in a variety of art and design programs before arriving at EdTech, where she now works full-time as an illustrator and digital artist. Welcome, Kat. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) We're so happy you're here. Can you tell us, so you're one of our our artists. Um, mm-hmm. Did you always know that you wanted to be an artist? Um, I probably wanted to be one since I was pretty young. I started art lessons at around age seven, I think, along wow. with like piano oh. lessons and like ballet lessons. <laughs> Um, oh my! But I think only only art was the one that really stuck. Quit ballet when I was still like in elementary school. Quit piano in high school. Um, stuck with art, and it was really like yeah. I guess it was really the only subject that <clears throat> I was ever really invested in. Um, so, and I was fortunate enough to have parents that encouraged me building my portfolio and applying to art school. So. Uh, yeah, I was it illustration or painting or what kind of art? Um, well, in the beginning, it was definitely more like traditional stuff like drawing and illustration. Like, um, but once I got to college, I definitely like switched gears more. I became more interested in digital art, so that's where I am at now. I haven't, I probably haven't like actually picked up like a pencil in like ages. <laughs> Looking back on it now, like, could you explain or do you think you could explain like why it was art and not ballet or piano? Like, because for me, like looking back on it, I think I just liked movies. And then over time, Mm -hmm. I just kept watching movies. And over time, I just um, started looking more into like, how did they do that? And how did they do this? And it just kind of... uh, you know, the, the knowledge and the interest just slowly kept piling up. Yeah, um, 
I guess it's a combination of like art. I was probably like out of all of those things, I probably like took naturally to art the most.、Um, but also, just growing up, I watched like a lot of cartoons, a lot of anime, and I was, <laughs> I wanted to do something like that. So that's definitely a big influence too. Were there any in particular that were your favorite?、Uh, well, when I was little, and we still had like, Cable TV. I watched a lot of、um, <laughs> like Cartoon Network sort of stuff, like Powerpuff Girls, Fairly Odd Parents.、Um, oh, that generation! That's yeah, like kind of that, my generation. All that, all that good stuff. And then, <laughs> and then it like I also started watching more like a lot of anime. It was just like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, you know, all that. Everything that was like on like. Those like Saturday cartoons or like after school、oh、cartoons. The the other day, because right now I'm in San Diego, help、um, uh, helping my sister move, and we spent tonight、uh, just reminiscing about the old days,、um, especially <laughs> especially the Saturday morning cartoon days. And we on YouTube went through like at least an hour's worth of intros that we、oh, remember.、Yeah. Um, it could be like Dexter's Lab or Fairly Odd Parents or yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just SpongeBob. You know all those, all those cartoons and shows that we used to watch, and it really took me back. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was that kid who would like come home from school, like what, like two thirty three, like in elementary school, and just watch TV straight until like six when my parents got home. <laughs> so, <laughs>、um, yeah. Were you like a latchkey that- kid? A what? A latchkey kid. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> that that I've only heard that from、uh, people who actually work. Because I wasn't technically a latchkey kid, but it's basically the kid who has parents who are、um, working until like five o'clock or six o'clock, and、um, once you reach a certain age, they they trust you with a key to the house、oh. so that you can come home by yourself. You walk home from school by yourself, and、um, you just kind of. Wait until they come home. No yeah, parental supervision. Not no. I can't say I was because actually,、um, when around when my sis- little sister was born, when I was like five,、um, my parents like invited over my grandma, my dad's mom from China, and she basically became like basically our like nanny <laughs> and babysitter until like. I was in like middle school, and then by that time, I was able to just stay home on my own with my sister. But before that, it was it was my grandma like taking care of us. Wow,、oh, nice. was that something that you appreciated at the time, getting to spend that much time? Oh yeah, definitely. I remember my grandma went when my ba- grandma went back to China for a while when I was in like fourth grade or something. I would like cry. I like cried at school. <laughs> <laughs> because she wouldn't be picking me up anymore,、Aww. and I was like, "Yeah, I was really sad." So, Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> But、um, yeah, she's she's back in China now with my grandpa.、Um, yeah. What a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> so, did any of these cartoons? Do you think they've infiltrated your style as an illustrator? Uh, yeah. I mean. I never really drew in the style of like American cartoons that much, but I definitely when、like、Disney, yeah, not really, but definitely when I 
like watched a lot of anime in like high school. I had a very like anime-ish art style, but um, art schools don't really like aren't really like into that. So obviously, I kind of like <laughs> adapted and like or like did more traditional stuff for like my applications and portfolio. Um, I don't really have. I mean, there's still a lot of anime influence in my art style now, but I've kind of like right now it's kind of like a Frankenstein of like different like digital artists that I like and see online. So like I'll see an artist be like, oh, I really love how they do their lines. I really love how they draw their eyes. And I'll just like mash, like <laughs> take inspiration and mash them all up into like whatever yeah. I draw. When you say digital art, what do you mean for somebody who doesn't know? Um, Just like art that is done on a tablet in a digital art program like Photoshop or Clip Studio mm. or Procreate. Um, yeah. Oh, as opposed to like just it's paper a, and pen? As opposed thing. to just like on a paper and pen or paint, like actually painted. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, um, did you, did you like post your art like, you know, on DeviantArt or Tumblr <laughs> or any of these places when you were starting out? Um, not so much deviant art, I because I wasn't confident enough to post my art on there back when like deviant art was like really <laughs> at its like peak. But um, I did post on Tumblr um, mm. a lot of fan art on Tumblr, and no, I'm not giving you that account. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't need to know my Tumblr account, but I did post some. <laughs> I did post some fan art on Tumblr. Um, and yeah, I mean, my Tumblr account had like a decent amount of followers, but that's because I posted like specific fan art for like specific things, which I don't do a lot of anymore. But yeah, I did. I used to do like commissions through Tumblr also. Oh, nice. Like cheap mm. um, commissions during like uh, like early college. Yeah, it was some easy like quick money. <laughs> What's deviant art? Is that is that just like, it's like a an, Tumblr for art? No, it I I think it's just like an art and sometimes writing posting platform, I guess. Oh, interesting. I, yeah, I used to browse on it a lot, but I never I never really posted. Yeah, it's like from the from the early 2000s, I'd say. Mm -hmm. It's funny though, like with like uh, like the fan art thing always has interested me like whenever something uh new comes out it's like there's this whole community of people who are just like rushing to create fan art of yeah. it you know Wait, um, could you explain that a little bit like what do you mean when something uh, new yeah comes yeah out? so uh okay this is a really nerdy example <laughs> but um <laughs> but that's that's me um so I saw I saw for for instance that um a bunch of un speaking of Pokemon a bunch of unused Pokemon designs were discovered recently and in, including this one that it honestly like it you know it's the sprite it's the like low resolution pixel art sprite of the Pokemon and mm. the, and this particular one kind of looked like garbage like, like <laughs> literally just like a like a a mess of like a like pile beige, of trash pile of trash <laughs> and, and 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 the job of the the like fan art community for pokemon 
was like they instantly fell in love with this crude, seemingly unfinished piece of pixel art and transformed it into this beautiful um, thing, that, you know, like the sort of like the ugly dolls, like the thing you love because it's kind of gross looking. I, and, I was never like that. I don't know what you guys are talking about. But <laughs> well, anyway, that's just like a, an aspect of the like fan art and digital art world that I, I've always thought was so, so awesome. Because it's like a community art project. You know? how, how big is that community? Oh, it's... I have huge millions. A lot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the thing with fan art is also it's just easy. If you're like starting trying to gain exposure on the internet, it's just easier to gain people's attention with art of stuff that they already know instead of Oh, perhaps yeah, your own original work and maybe once you have amassed a big enough following off of all your fan art then when you finally post your like original work people will see it and pay attention and you can get discovered like I had a roommate my roommate in senior year she's super well-known digital artist on like Tumblr and Twitter she's just drawing all the time but her old it, she started off doing like anime fan art video game fan art and now she's like doing backgrounds for steven universe and like dreamworks and yeah she basically got hired like before like she even finished college off just off of twitter yeah so does like the community tie the art and the artist to a face or is it just a signature that they recognize do you know what i mean like like can you would, would or like a username? Yeah, yeah. Like, what would, would an average like browser on within these communities like if they spot like, oh, there's William Botini's, uh, <laughs> or like, or, or I I follow William Botini all the time on DeviantArt. Like, there he is on the street or something like that. You know, <laughs> is it that like, kind of like celebrity stardom? I feel like most artists i follow don't post their face that much so they're just known for their style and their like username but um i, I mean my like friend that. that i was talking about my friend that i was talking about has been recognized before at like oh wow anime cons <laughs> wow um like specifically like anime conventions where like people might know that be more likely to know her face but she doesn't Sounds she also like... doesn't post herself that much so well, if she doesn't post herself that much, sounds like the community did a little bit of a stalking. <laughs> like, who is this great person? Yeah. So then, so then, uh, uh, since you brought up like senior year and stuff, um, what did you study in college? We we said, or we mentioned that you studied animation and drawing, but what was that program like? Um, well, at Carnegie Mellon, it's just all under the BFA. Um, and then under the BFA, you have like concentrations, I guess. So there's like electronic media concentration, which I guess included animation. Um, and then there's like the drawing, painting, printmaking concentration, which was my other one because I was doing drawing. Mm. Um, but yeah, CMU's art program was very heavily, um, as I was told by a professor, we were we were a research based institution, um, <laughs> hmm. uh, um, so I don't know stuff like TV animation like concept art kind of stuff wasn't really the expertise of the faculty there, so it was kind of difficult to like acquire like 
skills like pertaining industry to skills that. yeah industry yeah. skills they were like oh if you wanted like industry training you could have gone to scad or whatever like i was literally told that at one mm. point oh wow. um, yeah it was it was a little rough because the core classes are all very like conceptual um, kind of conceptual arts, fine arts kind of stuff, which I was like losing interest in by the time I got to college. So it was definitely a bit of a struggle for me to like maintain interest in my courses. Um, what does that, what does that good... mean? Like research-based art? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in my point of view, it just felt a little bit kind of like elitist there, honestly. Because... <laughs> um, I don't know, most professors were doing like con conceptual art, fine arts. Um, if I wanted to do like cartoons or like animation, it was a little, it was a little bit of a struggle to find faculty that actually were able to like critique that sort of art in a way that wasn't like condescending. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, there's definitely like a struggle there. Um, and I was told by like, in senior year studio, I was trying to like argue that I should be allowed to take this character animation course, um, somehow like fit it into my schedule. And yeah, that one professor was like, oh, if you want a vocational learning, you could have gone to like a trade school, blah, blah, blah. This is a research-based institution. I'm like, well, I'm already in my fourth year here. So there's really no use telling me this right now. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, it Ew. was pretty. It was pretty rude. I have. Ah, that was a. Bad we won't memory. name names. Yeah, that was a bad <laughs> memory. And that was really recent. So yeah. You graduated. Yeah. Really recently. Mm -hmm. I made it through senior year out of like spite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I'm going to pass this. <laughs> this. I'm gonna get my degree and get out of here. But. Uh, Spite-filled accomplishment. Yes. Spite-fueled accomplishment. Basically. It. I definitely get what you're saying. And, and, like, I had a similar experience where, I mean, there's this tension in in uh, college between conceptual work and, like, training to be, um, you know, an animator mm -hmm. in the industry. Yeah. And I don't think that they want to tell you that at the <laughs> conceptual school. Because it's like, oh, it's going to be harder for you to get work uh -huh. um, because you're you're not going, you're not doing the portfolio work that you would at somewhere like SCAD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, for me personally, like, I mean, I I really appreciated a lot of the ideas that I learned in school, but everything I learned. I feel like most things that I learned that are relevant to me professionally, I learned on like lynda.com or in yeah, person or yeah, like yeah. through experience, you know, and that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I didn't actually learn a lot of the sort of like industry skills I wanted at school because not to mention their animation courses would be offered like every other year. So it was like a fight during like oh. class registration <laughs> to just get into the class. Um yeah, it was just, there wasn't enough, like, technical learning for me to, like, so even if I did want to do, like, a cool, like, project that met the, like, conceptual yeah. requirements, sometimes I just wouldn't have the skill set that I actually learned in class, and sometimes I'm just, like, I don't have time to learn this on Linda right now, because I have, like, four other projects to do, and 
Yeah. Sometimes I felt like I didn't have the skills necessary to even do the art that I wanted to do. It was definitely frustrating. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's frustrating that like, unless, unless, um, an institution already has an established art program. So let's say like, um, well, just what I know is, is film, um, and film programs and stuff. So let's take like NYU, for example, they already have a very established film program among Mm -hmm. other things as well. But for someone who, maybe wanted to try out different things, broaden their horizons and goes to, let's say, just um, as an example, they go to Stanford. You know, Stanford is a very good institution, but they don't have a good film program. And it's it's kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of frustrating how if you don't already have that established uh, pedigree, they are very rigid and inflexible about creating a good art program or creating a good film program or something um, because you could have so many students um, walking into college not knowing what they want to do and they discover some passion or um, interest that they want to pursue but if that school doesn't already have that program set up it's just hard for them to you know rely on that institution to help them develop the technical skills especially the technical stuff like I mean, these colleges tend to uh, focus a lot on, like you said, the research, the conceptual stuff, the mm-hmm. the fuzzy wuzzy stuff. But <laughs> at the end of the day, something like art is very hands on. You know, like you have to yeah. really learn with your hands, and there's just not a lot of opportunities for that. I mean, when I when I was an undergrad here, I I was so frustrated. Like all the <laughs> all the film classes and programs I wanted to attend were just so basic, very few workshops, mm-hmm. and the emphasis that Stanford placed was really for documentary they only have a documentary mfa program and not for just like if you want to become a fiction filmmaker or if you want to be a filmmaker in other areas of um showbiz or whatever Mm -hmm. like there's just nothing for that yeah yeah i think vocational schools are going to come back (laughs) like we have these coding boot camps i mean i feel like i know like a dozen people who have gone to those um, and we need those things for like for for filmmaking and, and animation and art, too, I think. Yeah. yeah. I feel like a lot of people are taking to the Internet to provide vocational training. Yeah. And that maybe. Videos. Yeah. And that maybe just speaks to the whole larger issue of just like, what are we going to college for? Yeah. <laughs> like, or like, <laughs> what what is higher education doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Feel well, something, something must have something must have worked for you, Kat, because you got hired at EdTech <laughs> almost immediately after college, right? Uh, no, I guess I graduated in 2018, so I was like out in the world for like a year <laughs> um, okay. before I got I mean, hired here. As far as what the media tells us about oh, um, yeah, I how guess successful so. artists are, I guess that. Yeah, I do um, consider myself very um, lucky to have gotten this job. <laughs> how did you find your way to us? How did you um, prepare? Did you feel like you needed to bridge any gaps um, uh, for things that you didn't learn in college? Yeah, I mean, I think I was, yeah, I was like referred 
to this position, uh, I was told there was like an opening here and was able to forward my resume. But I was actually, ironically, already working at Stanford when I applied here because I was temping at the Stanford Press, um, just doing like administrative uh, bookkeeping sort of work for the publishing house. Um, but yeah, I don't know, ending up uh, applying to this was very, it was just very fortunate circumstances. <laughs> and we're so happy to have you. That's awesome. Um, is this sort of your first time drawing for science education? Yeah, or? definitely. It's not really something I like would have considered where I would end up, but I mean, I definitely am enjoying it. And I don't know, part of my sort of goals for like being an artist and making art is like I always wanted to make art that had like a some kind of tangible like impact or like that would like help right. people mm-hmm. yeah and I'm just like well drawing art for educational purposes is definitely a direct way to help people with art so I don't know I'm pretty happy about it did you have to do anything specific to adapt or prepare for that or was it just a natural easy transition I thought it was pretty natural. I feel like I didn't specifically need to figure out anything new um, or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just really quickly for our for our listeners, I mean, I'm sure a lot of them can assume that, you know, you're doing illustration and animation work mm-hmm. at EdTech, but could you, like, describe the work a little bit? Like, um, who do, who in our team do you work with? You know, that kind of thing. What kind of um, artwork do you guys produce and what is it for all of that stuff well who in our team well William right here our <laughs> creative director is basically your best um, friend <laughs> <laughs> we communicate through this F track program yes. pretty much exclusively <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I mean I guess I've just been doing some concept art storyboarding illustrations basically anything visual that needs to pair with the sort of courses that edtech um produces <laughs> uh yeah i don't know how else to well i'll say this that. about uh about your work cat is sometimes i'm i'm like with my job like my ideal scenario is that i I become useless, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because like I, I, I am not making that much art, um, in this role Mm -hmm. and really like my, my job is just to sort of like come up with concepts and then kind of see, see, you know, give, give everything to the artist to make beautiful art. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with your work, I'm like, man, this is so good. This is just I have nothing to say, <laughs> um, and I'm excited because um, I, I know you'll be doing more like conceptual work and like art direction for our upcoming course, yes. um, Queerculum. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Kim, um, talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to figure that out in the next couple of days, but yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. You're like a like a great artist to work with because you just do, make good things. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
tasks. And, you know, like on that topic about like preparing for doing work with ed tech, I honestly, I feel like our team is sort of extremely lucky in a lot of ways. Like almost very few schools actually have in-house illustrators, let alone like three or four of them. Yeah. And when I talk to other people at, at different schools, they're, they're like, what? You don't have to hire some agency. <laughs> and um, and then on top of that, the work that we do is mostly like storytelling rather than, you know, um, kind of anatomy centric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get to deal with people and emotions. And I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do an anime. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, an educational anime, I'm sure, you know, people will take to it. Have you heard of the, um, the anime, was called Cells at Work? It's on Netflix. Yeah, I watched that. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was, I, I haven't, I've only watched like one episode, but it's basically like anime Osmosis Jones. <laughs> yeah. If you remember oh, that really? show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. This is what I love. That that show, for me, represents everything I love about anime, which is it's so weird <laughs> and 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 yet it, like, takes itself so seriously and also has fun with its ideas. Yeah. In a way, in a way it's totally engrossing, you know? Is it, like, is it, like, explained except with anime? No. <laughs> or what is this show? It's, <laughs> what is it's this basically show? Basically, like a per, they're like humanizations or personifications of like the cells in your body. So like the main oh, character is like specifically about the body. Yeah, the main character is like a red blood cell, and she's this cute little like anime girl who like <laughs> does like deliveries because she's a red blood cell. And then <laughs> the other main character is like this like really intimidating looking white blood cell, and he basically is like he like fights against like the intruders like the viruses in the body it's it's like that yeah, yeah. oh so it but really this... is like osmosis <laughs> yeah basically it's like the classic like anime high school romance but uh but in school or, or but in the body yeah <laughs> like the white blood cell despite <laughs> d- despite being a killer of dreams <laughs> he's like soft-spoken and sweet <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> what's it called cell what cells at cells work. at work yes it's oh on Netflix. i see i see okay i'll have to check um, it out have any of you watched the spongebob anime yes <laughs> or i've seen the opening <laughs> let's put it that way <laughs> wait it's an incredible. anime version of spongebob it's like a fan yeah. project that oh weird <laughs> artist animator on the internet just like i think it started off he made this like really dramatic like anime style like opening for it and it just got really it went viral and i think he's like continuing like it's like a sort of series right yeah good stuff that's the fan art that's like the <laughs> pinnacle of anime fan, fan art yeah right exactly cat have you ever had a piece of your art go a little viral um Anything I mean, creative? I can't say that I have. Like, I've had, like, Harry Potter fan art on Tumblr get, like, a lot of, like, likes. <laughs> How counts. many is a lot? Like, oof. At least, like, 20K. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that sounds like that. <laughs> that sounds viral to me. <laughs> no, not, I don't think so. Not really. 
know. I've never had 20,000 people. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, or is there anything, what's something at EdTech that you've made that you were happiest with or that you thought was super cool? Um, I mean, I really liked the work we did on the health after cancer course with like the animation puppets that I drew. I thought those turned out nice and it's really cool to see them like in movement. <laughs> I really like the, the whole like aesthetic of that course is very colorful mm -hmm. and like soothing. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so we are all currently recording from our homes or our sister's home. <laughs> um, <laughs> How has life changed? How has life, work, or art changed for you during shelter in place under COVID? I don't know that I've... The only thing that's really changed is that I find it harder to, like, focus when I'm at home. But, I mean, art itself is, you know, is just art. <laughs> it's the same that I always do. But you don't... I mean... Um... You don't feel like you're getting more like neck pain or back pain. Oh, I or... mean, I got that even at Redwood City because I just don't sit on my chair like a normal person. <laughs> um, like I'm that person who like has their like legs up and then like hunched over. Um, but yeah, I definitely need to invest in a standing desk. I wonder if these uh, ergonomic evaluators that we have at work, um, if they take into account artists and illustrators and that kind of work, because I yeah. feel like a lot of the ergonomics that they recommend is just basically for like, you know, sitting at your computer and typing. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine. I think I think one of our colleagues, we, um, because he does a lot of illustration work too. Mm -hmm he is very particular about like where he puts his tablet what angle it's set at how high his chair is and all that yeah um, which i think he does independently of these evaluators mm -hmm. yeah i'm nowhere near that conscious of it which is probably why i get like hand cramps and, cramps. <laughs> and maybe it's because you just got out of college you're still like fresh you know whereas yeah. hui's body hui's body is battered you know, it's been oh beaten God. down into submission. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like battered, like in order to be fried, <laughs> like a like a tempura, like covered in breaded. Flour. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> my my best purchase during shelter in place was a standing desk converter that I have oh. put on top of my table where I work. It was oh. only, it was around like a hundred bucks and it can hold a lot of weight. Um, and it has changed my work from home life. <laughs> um, but what about, about did you work on any of the COVID projects? Yes, I did some infographics for Digital Medic for their, I think they're like, COVID like public health campaign for I think it was South Africa. Um, I did work on some infographics and storyboards for them. 
Was it was it tough um, or or not tough? But did you have to kind of catch up with the latest updates in terms of those infographics and stuff you were producing, or not, was it just kind of fixed? Not really. They basically just told me what they just already like told me what the infographics and stuff had to show, and I would just figure out the best way to like portray that. I guess. <laughs> mm. Didn't learn nothing really new yeah it was all stuff that like was already pretty known like put the information put out by who and yeah all that stuff yeah the, the ones i worked on it was mostly just the sort of like common sense like social distancing no visitors uh don't share your like utensils that so kind of stuff. as an artist um do you enjoy i mean because it is kind of work you know at the end of the day like what we are doing um mm -hmm. do you prefer those kinds of situations like in like with digital medic where you know you have that like goal in mind and you're just working like you're illustrating your 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 or you're sketching you're illustrating you're you know putting the final touches does that process become easier the more clear that goal is or do you, I guess, kind of enjoy the conceptualizing part of the um, workflow and the pipeline? Like, which, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. do you like it when you kind of have to figure things out on the fly? Or do you prefer having that kind of, like, goal set? I mean, I, I like either depending on... I guess it just depends on the situation. I mean, I appreciate the opportunity for like improvisation and figuring something out on my own. But sometimes, you know, sometimes just having like the whole thing like laid out for you and all you have to do is just like um, check the boxes, check the boxes, like draw it out, uh, render it. Um, that does take away. Sometimes that takes away some of like the pressure to like, um, I don't know how to explain it, but sometimes that takes away no, the pressure I, of having to like think too hard about it. Right. Um, yeah, that's something I personally, I mean, when it comes to like film and video, that's something I uh, fairly recently, I guess, discovered um, about myself because, um, which is that I, I do enjoy the conceptualizing and like the brainstorming and, and thinking things out. But when we get to set, we press the record button and we start filming everything like, you know, cause it's like such a, such a tightrope act. Um, I just want things to just go smoothly and I want to check those boxes and make sure we have the take. Mm -hmm. um, and if we have a little bit of wiggle room or some extra time left, maybe we'll invite some improvisational moments. But I used to think that, no, it's, you know, just like, like, let's just, like, go out there with the camera and figure things out, you know, like, on the fly. Yes. Which, easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more, that's that's just way too ambitious. And, and I don't know, maybe that makes me a bad filmmaker because <laughs> some of my favorite films, some of my favorite works have, you know, like, used that technique. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's just different strokes, uh, different. yeah. Um, ways of doing things, different styles for different yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, that was also one of my big struggles at my art program at school because everything was very conceptual. So, like, every project it just had, like, the vaguest 
idea of a prompt, but it was basically like a free for all. And sometimes I really struggle with that because sometimes I just need like, like I just want to know like what the goal is or like what the professor like expects. Because sometimes if you give me too much freedom, I'm going to like flail around and like spend way too much time. <laughs> Like thinking about it, and then I wouldn't. I'll have barely any time to actually get anything done because I'm just like second guessing myself and like all the different like ideas I have in my head. And then、That's、the whole、why. like you know after you flail around and you produce something and and you get feedback like oh this is not exactly it. Yeah, and I'm just like, like, but you like didn't tell、yeah. me what you wanted. <laughs> Which I'm sure is all too familiar for everyone <laughs> everyone else here. Oh yeah, having restrictions and parameters at the beginning makes it much easier to create art. Sometimes,、mm-hmm. Kat, are there any hobbies that you've picked up or poured begun to pour more time into during shelter in place? <laughs> any new joys in your life? Honestly, no. <laughs> really, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very. I don't know. I live a very sedentary lifestyle. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> I yeah. If I'm not drawing, I honestly don't like do much of anything. <laughs>、um, you mean you are already living your best life, and that is continuing under shelter in place? Yes, basically. Yeah, <laughs> me and my yeah. I'm like aside from the fact that I like can't see my friends that often, like. I already do like nothing like at home, so not really a bit, not really a huge lifestyle change for me, to be honest. I, I sure think you're、you'd... not doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds very Bay Area. Yeah, <laughs> you're right on par with everyone else in the area. Yeah, yeah. it is a good time for introverts. <laughs> Cat, it has just been a delight asking you questions. Learning all about anime.、Um, do Do you have any final words of wisdom、uh, oh、for、God. for young artists out there? Um. Yeah, words of wisdom. Uh, well, <laughs> they don't have to be wise. Just just、don't、some words. Just some words. <laughs> um, you don't need to go to art school to get. A job in art. <laughs> 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 What matters most is your portfolio, because as long as you can, as long as you can draw well or do your art well, then all the other stuff is just a bonus. Yeah,、um, art school is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you're working、Dude. on outside of edtech? Like anything you want to plug? Any personal <clears throat> projects? Ah,、uh, no, not right now. <laughs> But do you do you work on like things outside of edtech? Like, because I know、um, Hui, he's always talking about like, what is it, Inktober or? Oh God, you know the drama like, with Inktober. It's the art community is dropping Inktober this year, as far as I know. Why is、um, that? Because the creator, like the the person who like conceptualized and created Inktober, I think last year tried to like copyright it. So, like the term Inktober, so a lot of artists that would use it to like name their works and stuff would be getting like copyright strikes on it、oh、or something,、God. or like people who want,、wow. or like artists who wanted to like sell their Inktober sketchbooks, they wouldn't be allowed to if it was you know called Inktober sketchbooks. What a so, jerk! 
Yeah, so the guy is a jerk, so people are trying to find alternative um, sort of art challenges for October. Or as some people suggested, it's like maybe we just all deserve a break (laughs) this year. Right. I mean, I've heard of like selling out in a way that's compassionate, you know, and respectful, but that just sounds straight seedy. Yeah, and yeah, basically, yeah, that's the that's the drama with Inktober. Not that I ever successfully participated in Inktober. It's always like I did like five drawings and gave up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So art school is a scam and don't be a jerk. (laughs) Those are pretty wise words. Yeah, they're great. I I have some some wise words from the Pokemon movie if uh, you all want to hear it. The Please first movie? Share. Yes, the, the first, first movie. One? Okay. Yeah. Life can be a challenge. Life can <laughs> seem impossible. It's never easy when there's so much on the line. But you and I can make a difference. There's a mission just for you and me. Just look inside <laughs> and you will find just what you can do. What? There it is. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> Sounding a little bit like David Lynch there. Inspiring words to live by. Brilliant. So much on the line. <laughs> just so much on that line. <laughs> well, thank you, Kat. I hope this wasn't too painful. Uh, no, it was fun. <laughs> Even though I'm going to maybe not listen to this episode because I hate listening to myself talk. Oh, but. come on. <laughs> Don't we all? No, I, I get it. Yeah. Thank you, Kat. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of EdTech Cafe. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast. And uh, we'll see you at the cafe next time.